Our scripture today is in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 1, uh, 1 through 8, the very beginning of that book. Um, it's right there in the chat, so you can follow there, or you can uh, bust out your paper Bible and just get old school, about 500 years old. We've had those paper Bibles. Um, Mark, book of Mark is written to people in trouble. The book of Mark is written to people who are having a hard time. Uh, the book of Mark is written to people who are grieving and struggling and wondering what it meant to follow Jesus in the midst of all that. And also, Jesus, why is it taking you so long to come back? And, uh, you know, I wish there was a Sunday morning when I felt like I could come to us and say, wow, folks, the world is fantastic. Things are going so well, and I'm just wildly optimistic about our future. And I actually am by nature a pretty positive and optimistic person. But I think the reality of our world, as I, as I look and as I listen, I go, we are a people in trouble. We are a people who are struggling. And so I think we can identify with that as we wrestle with the reality of grief and trouble in our world and in our lives. So our scripture today is God's word to a people who know trouble and grief. Um, let's open our hearts, make ourselves ready and attentive for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, powerful and beautiful God, whose light shines in the darkness, whose desire is to bring hope and peace and joy to all the earth, thank you that you have always sent your prophets into worlds that struggle with grief to cry out for a better way. Holy Spirit, open our ears and our hearts this morning to the same cries today and the way your Spirit continues to cry out through the prophets and through our own hearts. Spirit of God, speak through the Word of God to the people of God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Zoom has made me a wonderful lip reader. I just, yeah, thank you for that. 
When the world looks like death, God is about to do something unprecedented. When the world looks like death, God is about to do something unprecedented. He is about to show up in a new way, maybe in a new place, maybe doing a new thing. And this is not in any way to diminish the reality of grief or evil, okay? I never want to be that pastor or that Christian or that human who looks at the reality of suffering and tells somebody to just get over it. Um, I admit I have done that as a parent, but it's really not a good move. Uh, To say that God is going to do something unprecedented is not to deny the reality of suffering or injustice. Um, Too many times we tell ourselves or we tell others to just move on and we miss out on the reality that Jesus Christ is uniquely equipped and uniquely desires to meet us in our grief. But I also have to say that I believe that even in the darkness of grief, even in the reality of suffering and injustice, I am convinced that when the world looks like death, God is about to do something unprecedented. When the world out there, those huge systemic injustices, those huge environmental disasters looks like death. And when the world in here, our intimate grief, our relational heartbreak, our personal addictions and failures, our grief and our depression and our our anxiety, the world in here looks like death. God is about to do something unprecedented. Right where you are, say unprecedented. All right, if you've got a neighbor, tell him unprecedented. Anybody got a neighbor? If you don't got a neighbor, look at your Zoom screen and say unprecedented. Amen. I I, I might miss live gatherings just a little bit. I might. Look, unprecedented is a word that we wore out this year, right? That thing is worn out. Um, But as I've been thinking about it and praying about it, I believe that God might want to take this word that we have gotten sick of and use it and redeem it uh, for something good. And with the pandemic raging and with our federal government, no joke, on a killing spree against black men, with so many other difficult things happening in the world, family, it is good news. It is the best news. It is news I need that when the world looks like death, God is about to do something unprecedented. And in the short passage of scripture today, I see the good news that God wants to bring us unprecedented authority, unprecedented belonging, and unprecedented hope. Verse 1 says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Or pardon me, the, my, my translation says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But in a number of translations, it will say, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word, good news, has traditionally been translated as gospel. One thing about verse 1 is that this is actually the title of the book. 
right? The original editions didn't come with a fancy cover page and extra large print, you know, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, the title came later, the additional title that we have, The Gospel According to Mark. The original title is The Beginning of the Good News of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And some of us already know that hearing this title when the book first dropped in 55 AD would have blown the minds of everybody who heard it. Because the life of the ancient Mediterranean was dominated by the global superpower of the Roman Empire. And early listeners hearing this title would remember that at certain times, the ruler of the empire would send out a gospel or good news about how great he was, basically reminding the world, I'm the man, y'all gotta bow down. And actually, this was literally the case because throughout the empire in many provinces, it was the law that folks had to refer to the emperor as the son of God. So it is no accident that this book is titled The Good News of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because what they are saying is your global superpower and the emperor who sits on top of it does not rule the earth. Your global superpower is not divinely appointed by the blessing of the heavens. Jesus Christ rules the earth. Jesus Christ is divinely appointed by the blessing of the heavens. It is as if, family, we were to open up our news app and get that alert on your smartphone, and we see the banner of a news article that says, the inauguration of the real commander-in-chief of the United States. It is no less controversial, it is no less earth-shattering than saying that there is another commander-in-chief to whom our allegiance is owed, and there is another commander-in-chief whose will will dictate the fate of the world. Imagine a title like that. Imagine a news banner like that. And remember, this is written to a people who were experiencing oppression. You know, there was a terrible violence breaking out against the followers of Jesus at this time, both in, in Judah, where they came from, Judea, pardon me, where they came from, and also in Rome, where this book is probably written. The main author of this gospel, uh, Mark, is probably an African immigrant to Rome. And even his grammar in writing this book indicates that his education is limited. He doesn't have full command of the language. But what he did have was a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And he wanted the church to know, Church, I know that there are great and evil powers at work in the world. But in the face of that church, remember, you are not small. Because human history and the fate of the world do not swing according to the will of the global superpower. Human history and the fate of the world will ultimately bend to the desires of Jesus. And he wants this little, urban, multi-ethnic community to understand, you may be small, you may be suffering, but church, because of Jesus, you have unprecedented authority. God offers unprecedented authority and God 
offers to suffering, struggling people unprecedented belonging. Verse 4 says, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We are created to have our belonging in God take precedence over every other kind of belonging, whether to a nation, a culture, a family, even to ourselves. We belong to our Creator who loves us with a perfect love that we are created to share with creation. But when we seek belonging outside of our Creator, when we fail to love the creation with the perfect love that created us, whether, whether uh, we fail to love the people in our lives, to the creatures in the world, to the dirt that we are standing on, and whether our failure is the obvious stuff like racism, like addiction, like abuse, like deceit, or the more subtle stuff like comfort, like control, like success. When we seek belonging in those things, we participate in a relational chaos that Scripture calls sin. And the reality of that relational chaos, the, re- the reality of sin, is that it damages creation, starting with us and then spreading to everything we are connected to. And baptism is a sign that above all else we belong to God. In fact, it is a way of shifting our allegiance from the way things are to the world that God is creating. Saying before we belong to anyone else, we are children of God. And we will stop seeking our belonging outside of God. And we ask to be released and healed from the consequences of our sin. And in a world where so many different things want to put an identity on us, so many different things, whether giant multinational corporations or individuals uh, in our face or just our Facebook feed that have expectations for us or messages about who we are supposed to be and they want to form our identities and define us, it is such good news to know that we are not defined by those things, but we are instead defined by the love that gave birth to the universe, the love that is imaged for us, manifest for us, made flesh for us in Jesus, that we are not defined by by the systems we are born into or by our own moral performance, but instead by the endless and self-giving love of the Creator It is the most liberating news that has ever been proclaimed. God provides unprecedented authority. God provides unprecedented belonging. And finally, at Advent, God offers unprecedented hope. Unprecedented hope. Verse 7 and 8. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You know, this whole passage apparently is basically about John the Baptizer, who, uh, by the way, is unprecedented in the book of Scripture. But 
This is the only time we hear John speak in the passage. And it's actually in the book of Mark, he only speaks twice. And this is one of those times. And all he does right here is hype Jesus. People are coming from all over the country. They're coming from the countryside where the, where the poor and the oppressed lived. They're coming from Jerusalem where the educated cosmopolitan elite live. And they're all coming and having this powerful experience with God in the ministry of John the Baptist. And John basically says to them, Hey folks, you know all of God's goodness and power that we have seen together? You know uh, all the miracles? You know the answered prayers, the transformation and the provision? The powerful sense that God is with us? It's basically nothing compared to what is coming. The goodness and power of God we have seen so far are only the beginning. Think about this. Take a second right now. Start counting your blessings. As the old folks would say, close your eyes if it helps and start making a gratitude list in your head. Or shoot, some of you have pen and paper out. Go ahead, start writing it down. Think about the good things God has done in your life. I'll give us a minute. I know it's hard sometimes. I can't tell you how many mornings I get up and it's part of my spiritual discipline to to write a gratitude list. There are mornings where I do not want to do it. But I encourage us to exercise our gratitude muscles. Uh, This is a healing practice, okay? Think about the way that God has shown you goodness. Think about the things you can give thanks for. Think about the moments in your life of beauty. Think about the moments of grace, of forgiveness. Think about times when God showed you love, gave you strength, joy. Think about the times when when you cried out for rescue or deliverance or provision and God answered and you knew that there was a God in heaven who heard your prayer. Think about those things. And now think about this. That's only the beginning. That is only the beginning. All the goodness and power and love of God that we have seen so far in our lives is only the beginning. Now help me out in the chat here. How does it make you feel to know that all the goodness and power of God you've seen is only the beginning? Type a few words in the chat where we can reflect on this together. All the goodness and power of God that you have seen in your life is only the beginning. How does that make you feel? Hopeful. Amen. It brings a tremendous sense of hope. That's two for hopeful. Amen. Excited. Excited absolutely means it's just going to get better. Uh, Amazing. Full of joy. Amen and amen. Reassured. Ooh, who said reassured? That's how I feel. I feel reassured. I feel released from my anxieties about the future because I go, oh my goodness, God is just getting started. Happy. It makes me happy. Amen. 
Amen. This is only the beginning. I want to share one story that, that brought some of this home for me. I think sometimes we, we underestimate the power of our experiences to form our imagination. We underestimate how much our experience shapes the way that we think. Uh, and, and I think sometimes we misidentify which experiences are forming us, okay? I was recently wrestling with this uh, because, as many of you know, um, I've recently uh, been blessed with the opportunity to take on a side hustle with my brilliant and talented sister-in-law, Carolina. Hi, Carol. Good to see you. Thank you for the job. I'm excited. Um, anyway, uh, together, uh, Andrea has also been participating with us. We're doing diversity, equity, and inclusion training, and I like the work. I care about the work. It's going well, but the reality is I probably wouldn't do the work if there wasn't a check involved. I am just not that good of a person to take on this extra work right now, okay? And so I realized that emotionally I was struggling a little bit because even though I understand the situation in my mind and in my checking account, okay, I grew up in a church where the pastors didn't have second jobs. Right, Dad? They didn't have second jobs. Uh, it was a suburban megachurch. Uh, the pastor sat behind big oak desks on a campus with multiple buildings, and they had all their material needs taken care of. Uh, I mean, taken care of, okay? It was taken care of. Um, and even though that is not who God has called us to be at Access, and I am confident that that is not where the Holy Spirit is leading me or leading us, somewhere in my mind, because of the experiences that formed me growing up, I felt that if I was more successful as a pastor, I would not be taking on a second job. Now, I'm aware that I'm speaking from a lot of privilege, okay? Those of you who grew up in immigrant churches or lower income churches, you grew up two, three, four jobs, right? So I understand that my privilege is showing, please forgive me, um, but it's what I grew up seeing pastors do. And so... Uh, as much as I've consciously uh, been led by the Holy Spirit to something different, the script is still in my mind. Bear with me. Story's halfway done. I'm also part of a group of pastors uh, of color here in the Pacific Northwest. Um, in, it's called an anti-racism cohort. Um, uh, two Asian Americans, four African Americans. And as I was meeting with this group, I was kind of like, I was kind of like in my feelings about this struggle that I'm having. I'm a Gen Xer with low self-esteem. And, and you know, Gen Xers, yes, thank you, Aaron. Yeah, Gen Xers were like, my, my life is so, um, and so I'm just like in my feelings processing, like if I was more gifted, if I was more talented, if I was more successful, I wouldn't have this second job. And then I happened to just kind of like mention in the course of like my, in my feelings processing, oh yeah, you know, um, my sister-in-law's company is woman-owned, minority-owned, Latina-owned uh, company has been hired to do a training on recognizing and interrupting microaggressions for every single TriMet employee. 3,300 people in the next 16 months are going to get trained in 
this racial justice work that we got to create. Yes, exactly. And, and then, and I'm telling my cohort this and they start to do what you're doing. They start to clap. They start to celebrate. They, they, they start to like yell and rejoice as if they got the contract. Okay. It's like their party. It's like their party. And, uh, you know, then they begin to start to speak blessings over me. They start to talk about how, 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 God has appointed me like the Apostle Paul to be a tent maker and to influence the city of Portland for his justice and how how God wants to bless the city through me. And they begin to affirm me in these deep and powerful ways. And if you've ever had a group of black pastors all praying over you at the same time, you know what I'm talking about. It's a unique experience. And it took me back to being 22 years old in Anchorage, Alaska, and I was led by God to spend nine months uh, for the first time as part of a predominantly African-American church. And I tell you what, there was no paid staff in that church, okay? They had no, I mentioned full-time ministry to one of the people there, and she looks at me and goes, I have never heard of such a thing. They had never heard of such a thing. But it was in the context of that church that I experienced powerful transformation. And it was that church and it was another immigrant church that had no full-time staff that made me fall in love with church, that renewed my hope for what church could be and the work that God wanted to do through his people. And as my cohort blessed me, they stood on the strength and wisdom of those kinds of experiences, the experiences that made me want to be a pastor. And as they affirmed me and blessed me, I experienced God offering me unprecedented authority, unprecedented belonging, and unprecedented hope. And so as we wrap up this morning, I just want to ask, is there a way that your world looks like death and loss? Is there a way that, that, that joy seems like an impossibility? And church, did you know that God wants to meet you there with authority, belonging, and hope? Maybe you're thinking about the, the terrible systemic grief that we're looking at, things that seem unchangeable. It is not unchangeable for God. And maybe you're thinking of personal pain and struggle that seem unfixable. I'll say it again. It is not unfixable for God. There is nothing God can't heal. When the world looks like death, it is because God is about to do something unprecedented. Something about authority, something about belonging, something about hope. Let's pray together. Holy God, God of authority and belonging and hope, in the darkness of this season, we stretch our hands out towards you. Our spirits cry out for you. Our souls, our very beings long for you. And I pray for us, Jesus, 
I pray for the ways that our hearts are burdened under huge systemic realities. I pray for the way that our hearts are wounded with personal pain and grief. And we ask that the light of your spirit would shine into all those places. That in the midst of everything that we might face this Advent season, that we would experience your light shining into those places of pain and grief. And that we would unmistakably be able to say with John the baptizer, something so good is coming. What we have seen so far does not even compare to it. And as we trust that your coming, Jesus, will do those things for us, would you fill us with your joy? So let it be in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.